This is Afterbirth, the fourth and more postpartum support group brought to you by Preggers Can Be Choosers. In this podcast, we offer peer-to-peer support, not paid psychotherapy. We try to offer support and personal experiences over solutions. If you find yourself in need of more support, the Postpartum Support International or PSI Warm Line is 1-800-944-4773. You can also send a text message to 503-894-9453. English and Spanish options are available. If you'd like to join our conversation live, we meet every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Need a reminder? You can sign up for text alerts at www.preggers.rock. Lastly, if you find this podcast helpful, please consider sponsoring this group for 99 cents a month. And don't forget to share this podcast with friends and family who may find it helpful too. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I just want to like say that you're in my heart because, um, I've been through something very similar before and I had my first three kids like back to back to back. And, um, the last one was, I mean, I'm the queen of unplanned pregnancies, but the last, the last one of those three was, um, like for lack of a better phrase against my will. And it was really, really hard for me to, the whole pregnancy was just hard, but, um, and I was around that age too. So, you know, I understand just being a young single mom with pregnant with a baby that you just were not planning on. So I'm just holding love for you. Hola, mi gente. It's Rowan here at Preggers Can Be Choosers hosting our afterbirth, postpartum, fourth and more trimester support group. Or if you're pregnant, we don't care. We're happy to have you. And uh, I'm a local midwife here in Houston, Texas, and I'm one third of Preggers Can Be Choosers. We also have Dr. Blythe, who's returning. She's on a drive back from Marfa today. And Mary Bratcher, who's a student midwife and massage therapist. So that's who your people are. And I'm the host of the show for today. Let's see what else I got. I think we're going to start out talking about hair color and um, dyeing our hair and postpartum hair loss, but who knows where the rest of this journey will go. And if you are feeling safe and good, then you can turn your video on. If for some reason you don't want to be visualized by the rest of the community, that's okay. Keep your video off. Or if your internet is um, spotty, you can do that. And if there's also something you want to talk about and you don't want it recorded, just let me know and I'll turn the recording off and edit that part out. And I think that's what I got. And I've been working a bunch at the birth center. So I've been MIA a little bit, but I'm back now. And I'm happy to be here with my people. Hey, I'm Tiffany, mom of two girls who are six and four and about to start virtual school. Um, I did just dye my hair for the first time in a very long time. Um, purple, so uh, it's not like a natural color or whatever. Um, sometimes it's funny because I forget that it's purple and then like I'll catch a glimpse of it or my kids will be like, hey, your purple hair. Um, and what else is going on? Oh, I wanted to let y'all know, sober summer for me is going great. Um, Barry has also jumped on the bandwagon. So we've been like three months, no alcohol in the house at all, which has been amazing. Um, It took a little while to like get him to come to the sober side. Um, And this week he actually bought a six pack to make bug spray. And I thought that maybe he would like put some in the fridge and like drink one, but he hasn't drank any of it. And I, have absolutely no desire to drink alcohol. So um, it's kind of been like a game changer with the quarantine has actually helped. But yeah, that's where I'm at.
I'm like staring at Bev in the corner. I'm like, which one is going to go? <laughs> no, um, I'm Keisha and I am almost two months postpartum. And wait, that's what we're doing, right? Okay, two months postpartum. Um, I had a baby boy on the 4th of July and so uh, right now I'm just learning how to become a mom. That's it. I'm kind of boring. Hey, I'm Bev. Um, I always feel like if I'm the last person to join, then I try to be the last person to introduce myself because I feel rude otherwise. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, okay, I'm a mom of four. Three of them are starting virtual school tomorrow. I'm dreading it. It already sucks. We haven't even started yet, and it already sucks. Um, I don't know. I've kind of had a lot of stuff going on this week, um, but a, like most of it is stress from my kids going to school. Um, I started breaking out in my dermatitis rash that comes when I am like really stressed out. So, and this hasn't happened to me in years. Like this only happens like once in a blue moon and it just starts covering my, the whole bottom half of my face. And it's really hard to deal with and I can't wear makeup and I can't like, I have, I had to go get on antibiotics for, I'm going to be on them for the next month. And it's really hard on my stomach and just, but besides that, I'm doing okay. <laughs> um, as far as, I don't know what all we're going to talk about with hair, but I change my hair a lot and um, I'm always playing around with different things. Uh, so yeah, I think my hair has been like every color imaginable. Um, purple has always been one of my favorite colors and I think your hair looks great, Tiffany. Well, what we started talking about, because Tiff has purple hair, and for those who can't see, I have pink hair. And uh, so we just started talking about hair color and changing it. And then I tried to pressure Keisha into doing her hair, and uh, she wasn't really going for it. So that's what we're talking about right now. And then Keisha said that her uh, hair was falling out in big chunks, or maybe that's what I inferred because her internet got wonky. So that's kind of what we were going to talk about today. But we're going to talk about just whatever. Um, I see that Sarita has joined us. Sarita, do you feel comfortable um, introducing yourself? We normally just say who we are and um, if we're pregnant or if we're postpartum and just a little bit about anything that's going on in our mind, if you want to share and if you don't and you just want to join, that's okay too. Well, there she is, the pretty lady. Hi, how's it going? Mommy's on the call right now, baby. I can only hear, I can hear. We only speak like one at a time. So like whoever's um, oh, unmuted. Yeah, so if you're not speaking, then we mute it so that for people who are listening later, because this is a podcast, otherwise it gets overwhelming. So just introduce yourself and tell us what's going on. Uh, my name is Farida. I'm 25. Um, I'm currently 30, 30 weeks, maybe 31 weeks. Somewhere in that range, um, the pregnancy was completely unplanned. Um, the guy that I was dealing with, and it was really supposed to be like a a friendship type thing that kind of turned sideways. Um, he took the condom off in the middle of sex. Didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know, and. Wind up pregnant, so and it was around COVID time, so all of the centers were closed. So I am now pregnant and have to kind of get through the emotions of being pregnant. This is my third child. That's um, pretty much where I'm at. It's, um, I'm not as like as attached to my this baby as I was with my other two because of the circumstances. Um, the guy, he really 
also clarify that I pressured Sarita to come to this group. So I was worried about her and um, she's in my heart and I just was concerned. So I was like, hey, I host this group. So I invited her to come to this group. So I'm really grateful that you're here, Sarita. Thank you. And thank you for your vulnerability and honesty with us. And one thing I want to make sure that you know is that I'm recording this and I use this to um, make a podcast later. And if at any point you decide you don't want some of your shares to be recorded and published, then you let me know and I'll just edit it out. Okay. So what you shared right now, is it okay to keep on the podcast? And we only have like 11 people who listen. So shout out to our 11 people. Most of them are midwives that I know, but um, <laughs> that's okay. We're just going to keep showing up. So, okay. Well, she's giving me, for those who are listening later, she's giving me the nod, the visual that it's okay to keep this part in the, um, in the program. Okay. So uh, does anybody have anything to say about that? And if not, we'll move on to hair. Hey y'all, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get right back to it. Getting back to our real talk after birth style. Are you wanting to join in the conversation, but keep missing us live? Then sign up for text reminders at www.preggers.rocks. That's www.preggers.rocks. And we'll see you Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Yeah, kind of like what Bev is saying, um, we don't always get like thrown the best pitches in our life, but um, like kind of have a similar situation. But, uh, you know, we, we accept you here. And it's this is like a really good group to be able to uh, start like the growth process, like who you are, like becoming, you know, now, what is the new definition of you? And I like, um, Rowan like has helped me a lot as well. So I'm glad that you're here too. When Sarita told me that I like lost my shit, I was like trying to be all smooth, like be professional, Rowan, be professional. You're a grown up, you're at work. And I was like, what is this shit? I like wanted to kick something over. Anyway, thanks for coming here and thanks for being here. And um, Bev, can you talk to us a little bit, like how was your bonding process? Because you already had two kids and then, and I'm just going to call that an assault. It's, a, you know, it's assault, it's a rape, it's not okay. So let's just say what it is. And just because it happened to you doesn't mean that defines you. So how did, or did it impact how your bonding was with your third baby? Because you already had two to kind of compare it to. So can you speak on that for a hot minute? Um, yeah, it was something that I was really worried about while I was pregnant, um, but I was also, so I was going through a divorce at the time. That was one of the straws that broke the camel's back. There was a, there was a lot that, you know, was the reason for the divorce, but that was like one of the huge things. Um, so I was in the middle of a divorce while I was pregnant with number three and there was just so much going on like emotionally that I was really worried. Like I wasn't feeling nearly as connected during the pregnancy and I was like how is this going to turn out when the when the baby comes but it actually ended up being like once he was born um it was I didn't have any problem at all you know and I was super super grateful for him he was my first son and just like it was, it was the same feeling all over again of just absolutely adoring him. So, and I've never, I've never looked at him any different because of the way I've conceived. I've never felt any different about him than, than about my other kids. Um, and he was born in call, which I think is pretty fucking awesome. And I think it was like a huge sign to me that, um, he's supposed to be here and that, I made the right decision, like keeping the pregnancy and that's what I needed to do. Um, yeah, I had, I had let go of a lot of things during the divorce process, but um, like gaining another child from it was 
a very positive thing for me. I read this book one time called Far From the Tree, and it's about this research about there's a vertical identity and a horizontal identity. And a vertical identity is like um, you have, you know, maybe your family didn't graduate from high school, but you did, and then your kids will go to college or whatever, or they'll get a master's and you've only gotten a bachelor's. So that's a vertical identity, right? It's like grows up. And a horizontal identity is something different from you that you kind of don't have a sphere to navigate. So one of the identities they had was like, if you have a deaf child, like, you know, like I'm hearing and I have a deaf child, so that's a horizontal identity. Or um, they had um, even like biracial kids, you know, like they weren't quite black, they weren't quite Asian or whatever the meld of the racial blend was. So they kind of had to, you know, form their own kind of identity. And then they said kids who were um, conceived out of lack of consent, that that's a different identity than, you know, this kind of narrative of like, oh, you know, the mommy loves the daddy, and then they like each other, and then they have private time, and then he puts a penis in vagina, you know, like, that's kind of like that thing that we tell our kids, well, oh, you can only get pregnant when you love each other type bullshit, you know, that they propagate or whatever, and so, like, having a baby that was conceived not consensually or not in, you know, this glorious act of love, um, that that's a horizontal identity and it's very difficult to navigate that and this research they said um, like it hardly ever works out like people and most of their research was done on people who were violently raped as opposed to you know coerced or whatever not to put shades of acceptance on an assault because there is no such thing and I only know one person who was uh, raped and uh, carried the pregnancy to term and then and it's worked out <clears throat> and that's another midwife I know. So right there, I was like, okay, so all this research in this book doesn't, you know, really land true, right? And I think a lot of women become pregnant without consent, and they manage to grow their families and love their children just fine. So, um, and I'm also so open to hearing about it. Like, I didn't birth any of my children. I married people with kids, so I haven't birthed a kid from an assault. But what I've seen is that for, you know, for a lot of children when they're here they're here and we bond and we love them and if somebody is in their pregnancy and they don't think that's going to be true because also because i work at the birth center there's been lots of times i've asked people are you sure you want to stay pregnant or if you're already if it's too late to stay to not get pregnant to be unpregnant to terminate the pregnancy um, do you want me to help you find uh, help in adopting and i've offered that a few times and some people are like oh my god it's so refreshing to even talk about this so I just want to say, I guess what I'm saying is that the horizontal identity is, you know, like there's going to be some like trying to figure that out. Like it's okay if it's not normal, it's not instinctual, it's not whatever. We've got to kind of navigate that and kind of figure it out. And I'm real grateful for you guys in the group who can speak to this experience because I think it's way more common than um, a researcher wrote in a book. And I think it's way more common that there's um, positive outcomes with support than we would maybe think. So that's my two cents on that. Does anybody else have anything to say about this? I think I felt like the same way, uh, like when I found out that I was pregnant, like, um, yeah, I was not happy, like, at all. Like, I felt like, oh, it, like, he, like, it worked, he did it, like, he's a narcissist, trapped me with a baby, um, and so I just, like, um, like, the mental manipulation that I had, like, it made me scared of my baby. And I think, I think that me and you like kind of talked about this Rowan, like, like it was like pretty hard for me to like relax during my birth. Like I couldn't even like sit in certain positions because of trauma. Like I couldn't even like, and I, and I didn't want to say it literally Rowan is the best. Just know that because like I was in a position where um, I had like experienced trauma and I couldn't even like relax in the position and Rowan noticed it like while I was like in labor and she was like um like this position is like really uncomfortable for her like we're gonna go ahead and turn her onto her back and I'm like that's why she does what she does but um it it I I did not connect like with my baby automatically like in the womb um, I kind of just like 
coasted the pregnancy. Like I did not like stop doing anything. Like I just kind of coasted and people would be like, Oh, you're pregnant. And I'd be like, yeah, so what? Like, I'm going to do whatever, like do whatever, not like out here acting crazy, but like, I just didn't care. And then I felt like a kick one time and I was like at work, I worked with like CPS and like, I was like with one of my clients and like, I felt the kick and I was like, wait a minute. Like, what is, what is that? There's a baby in there. He's just, and I even tell him now, I will look at my baby. He doesn't know what I'm talking about, but I'm like, you were in there just growing, just doing what you do. And now you're here and you're a baby and I'm supposed to take care of you. And now you're crying at me because like you want something. And I'm like, you know, it's just like a bonding process. And like, he's like looking at me and I'm looking at him and I'm like, you kind of look like your dad, but like, it's, that's kind of hard, like seeing that, but um, it's helped me like cope, cope a little bit more. Um, I think breastfeeding helped a lot. I was just very strategic in like the way that I decided to bond promote bonding with him because I knew it was going to be hard, especially like with the narcissistic daddy. Wrong button. <laughs> so all three of my older kids look just like their dad <laughs> and um, especially the boy. Um, so I know exactly what you mean, but he's also, you know, he, they grow into their own skin. They're, they're all their own people, you know? So, um, oh, there was something else I was going to say. What was it? Oh, about just like being in labor with, you know, that kind of pregnancy. It is something different, but I think because I already knew what, because I already knew what labor was like, I knew what I had to prepare for. And so I read um, Birthing from Within, um, something that I had already read before, but I knew that this time I was going to like really need to just like absorb every part of that book. And I did, and it helped a lot. Um, and it, it just helps so much to have a care provider that you trust and that knows your story and knows what you've been through because my midwife, um, she knew, she knew everything and like, we already had a connection. We already had a relationship. My baby daddy was there for the labor. Um, and I just completely was able to somehow block him out and like, he was nothing to me at that point. I don't even know why I let him there, but I did. But I, I put a lot of work into just having the best labor that I possibly could. And it was a lot of mental preparation, like, beforehand. And I'm, I'm glad I did it. Sarita, so will this be your first baby out of a hospital? I don't remember. Yes, it'll be my first one. Um, I've always wanted to do an out-of-the-hospital baby because I have more experience in the hospital. Um, with my first baby, um, I was I was trying to induce. Um, the way the doctor did it pissed me off because he um, swept my membrane without me knowing. I didn't know what was going on. Like they don't even tell you that that's what they're gonna do in their exam when they're examining you. I was like 37 weeks. And he did it and I was like, what are you doing? Like, ouch, <laughs> what, what are you doing? And then he's like, oh, we're stripping your membrane. That's gonna make your baby come early. I said, what happens to the letting your body do it naturally? I had to do first labor with her. Like my, um, my blood pressure was up so high that I was borderline seizures that they made me get a, um, an epidural because it was either that or a cesarean. And I preferred to push my baby out. So, and then I also heard rumors that if you get a cesarean, you can't vaginally deliver after that. So, of course, I went with the epidural. That 
that process was very traumatic. Like it was ridiculous. Um, I lost a lot of oxygen, so they had me on the oxygen mask, and yeah, my baby's heart rate kept dropping because obviously her mom's under stress. She's under stress as well. So, uh, and this is Cassidy. <laughs> She's no open. But, um, yeah, that, that experience was my second um, labor. It was only five hours. It was a lot easier. Um, I had the same doctor and I told him, don't speak my memory this time. I want to do everything naturally. He, he even made jokes like, oh, you want to be pregnant forever. I'm like, what is the matter to you? you you're a man for one. You don't have a vagina. And I was just like, I'm going to let my baby come when he comes. He came the day after his due date. Because he was, he was saying, well, if you, you're pregnant next visit, I'm going, I'm going to induce him. I'm like, no need. He's going to come when he's ready. So I had him naturally. And it was way better. But they kept pressuring the epidural. And that was frustrating me in the hospital. I was like, can y'all leave me alone? Let me get through this. Like, I'm already in pain. I already don't want to be here. And y'all are irritating me. So when I found out I was pregnant this go around, I immediately looked up the birth center. Immediately. Because I was like, I'm not going to do that no more. These people irritate me. They're, they're so big on the dollar sign because that's all it is, is they're trying to make money. Every procedure they have to do on you is money for them. That's why they're so bent on, okay, let's let's induce her at 30 something weeks. That's a th extra thousand something dollars there. Oh, let's give her the epidural, extra thousand something dollars there. They're not worried about our health. They're not worried about how our bodies are gonna react to it. They're not worried about if the baby's gonna make it through all of that. So that's why I decided to do the natural birth this go around. Got it. Got it. I think that um, we had a discussion like a couple of weeks ago about like the difference between like how uh, minority women are treated like in the hospital um, and like no, I, no, I, I stand you because me and Rowan were crying, like, when it got to the end of my, um, like, time being at the birth center, and we were just crying because, you know, Rowan was like, I think that it's, you know, best that you go to the hospital, and I was like, I don't want to go to the hospital there. They're going to treat me bad because I'm black and I'm on Medicaid. Um, they're gonna give me a C-section. I'm not gonna have an option. And that's that's true. Everything that you said, like him doing stuff without asking or like you don't have a voice or making jokes or treating us like uh, we experience pain differently than Caucasian women or non-minority women. All of that is true, 100% true. And um, it sucks that we have to go that, like go through that. And I just don't want to cry right now, but it is fucked up. Like, it is so messed up. Like, um, they don't give us a choice and they feel like we're so dramatic because they have this connotation about um, women of minority. And um, it's like they don't even hear what we're saying, exactly how you were talking, how you would try to advocate for yourself. It sucks that we first have to advocate through ourselves while we are going through labor. Like we're having contractions and we have to advocate for ourselves at the same time, read all the documents that they're throwing in our face. And why, why do we have to advocate to have a normal birth in the first place? Like, that's crazy. Like, why can't we just experience birth in the way that somebody else, it's like, it's like you said, they want to make money. Like they, they, 
I feel like they see us as dollar signs, like, oh, well, they're on government assistance anyways, and, like, they don't really care to experience all of this, like, they, I don't know, like, I, I am so glad that you're um, able to work with people, like, who care about you now, and, like, hopefully you have a way different experience, um, because I would never take away, like, my prenatal care, and, like, the whole entire process that I went through at the birthing center, um, you know, I would never change that for anything like it even though i only got like a little bit and i didn't get to deliver my baby there it was still like the best thing ever and i will like i will always say like no i had a birthing center i will never tell the last part <laughs> but no it makes me cry but it's sad that it's like that and i and i stand and i stand with you I had to send two people to the hospital on Friday at the birth center and it just like every time like I'm like oh fuck I'm sending you know a person who you know like okay so midwifery for those who are listening later midwifery is just about low risk and I'm a professional midwife I'm not a nurse midwife so like everything is like you know that's why I'm on everybody's ass about what are you eating how are you moving how's your mental health because I can't default to medications so and I work with a nurse midwife who can so and but she doesn't typically but that's how it rolls and then so we just deal with low risk and when people start to edge up at a low risk and they need to go to a care provider that can manage that level of risk right but for me when the when some a patient is right at the top of low risk, like they're going, they're moving up the ladder of higher needs of care. I know a lot of times if I send them up the ladder of care, they're going to get treated so poorly that their moderate risk is going to shoot up into high risk. And so then I have all this like thoughts as a practitioner, like, can I, can I keep this person here? If they just take a little bit more calcium, if they walk every day, if they, you know, manage their diet and stress better, could I get them back into low risk? Because I don't want to send them someplace where they're going to immediately, because they're treated so poorly, be elevated up to high risk, you know? Um, and especially, like, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, if you're black or you're, you know, not white, essentially, and you're on Medicaid and you roll into any type of hospital, like I had a hospital call me check this shit out so one of the people that I sent to the hospital on Friday one went to Bentom which is a county hospital and one went to a bougie um, hospital up in the woodlands which is a, a fancy part of Houston and the doctor called me and was shitty to me because she was like well it would have been nice if I'd known she was coming and I was like uh she goes who's your backup doctor and I was like we're a Medicaid clinic so this is what happens if you have private insurance or cash bait and you need an MFM, that's a maternal fetal medicine specialist, then we refer you to there to get assessed, right? And then to come back into care. But if you're on Medicaid, what we do is we um, find you an OB and a clinic that's close to you, like, and so you start going to a Medicaid clinic that's close to you and that way, and that escalates you up the level of care. So this isn't like a fancy, like bougie, you know, home birth practice where we have some like doctor that we can just refer to all the time. This is a Medicaid clinic. This is how Medicaid works. And she was still shitty to me. She was like, well, you know, who's your backup doctor? I was like, you're not listening to me. I just explained to you what we do. And if it's acute, like, I, you know, like right now, then I send them to the hospital with their records and to be assessed because it's an emergency. And so <laughs> she's like, well, and then she wanted a certain test. And I was like, oh yeah, um, it's negative. And she goes, well, I need that fax to me. I was like, okay. I was like, are there anything else that you need fax? And she goes, all her prenatal records. I'm like, they're in her hand in a manila envelope, you know? So it, it was so interesting, like just the doctor being shitty to me because she's not used to working with Medicaid patients and was like, so there's clearly like this differential system, right? There's like, you know, the one we use for people with fancy insurance where the doctor calls me and yells at me. And then we have the one where, um, they work within the county system and Medicaid and the person who got the better outcome was a person who stayed in the Medicaid system. So from the people I sent on Friday, one had a vaginal birth, one had a surgical birth and the vaginal birth came for the person who went to the county hospital. They both had the same situation. They were both had um, super high blood pressure. And then the other person ended up having a surgical birth and she was treated like really poorly, Keisha. Kind of like you were, she reported in. So and even though, you know, like the county hospital worked out, that's not always the truth, you know? So like, it's a big dilemma for me as a provider and I'm not quite sure how to fix it, but I know that I'm showing up every day and doing my best and agitating and whatever. Sorry, I'm on a soapbox here. Somebody say something, get me off of this.
That's good, Sarita. Show us that bump so we can all admire it. Love you up. He's been, um, I think he's rotating now. I've, um, I've actually Googled a lot of different um, ways to give my baby some sunny side up, and it's hurting so bad. Like, my spine is burning. And then now my side is burning, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe she's moving and trying to turn. So I've been experiencing some contractions, but nothing consistent for me to worry about. Did anybody else have a sunny side up baby and what did they do about it? Um, Miles was, I don't remember what, he was in a weird position. I don't remember what it was, but I used moxie sticks. Is that right, Rowan? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and then acupuncture. I don't remember. It was so long ago, but I remember using those moxie sticks and you like hold them next to your like pinky toe. And I was like, this is some real hippie shit. This is not going to work. <laughs> but he turned. It was really weird. And I could actually feel it. I could feel him turn. And I was like, oh shit. But yeah, I would recommend it. I think with my first baby, I um, I remember seeing Rowan for a massage and she was head up and it was getting towards the end. It was like in my 20s and 30s weeks. And I remember Rowan told me to put peppermint on my belly, like right under my boobs and like on my belly. And this is like new to me, essential oils. I didn't know. I put like straight from the bottle peppermint on my belly and I was like cursing and it was burning. I was like, what the fuck? Why is this burning? Ah! I had to like wipe it off, but I, I feel like it worked because <laughs> she turned like a couple days later. <laughs> but same thing, like Bev said, I was like, this is some weird hippy dippy shit <laughs> peppermint on my belly like what does that go do but i don't know maybe they smell it or something i don't know rowan can tell you maybe that's hilarious that's if your baby's breached that's what you did but I, this is funny the first time i'm hearing the story so <laughs> oh yeah okay so um, we got Caitlin there looking all sunny and happy. What's going on? Right now we're talking about turning an OP baby and we've already covered getting pregnant during an assault and uh, care, subpar care if you're black and on Medicaid at the hospital. So these are the we've covered some ground. So why don't you tell us how you're doing and what's going on and if you have any thoughts on any of that. Hey, I'm Caitlin. Um, sorry, I'm late. I was driving. Um, and that is a lot of ground to cover. I got nothing other, nothing to add to that because I don't have any experience myself as a white person. Um, and the only time I did um, doula for one black woman and we couldn't keep a doctor in the room when she was pushing. So F that, like, I, no, like they just kept running out and going, nope, sorry, sorry. And they put like made her labor down for like 30 fucking minutes. They would like, and I was, this was my second birth ever. And I was like, I can't, like, I can't deliver your baby. Like, I, and so they're like, but I, I swear to God, we called doctors in the room five times and they wouldn't stay in there. So it's just constant. It's just constant. Anyway. That's a bunch of shit. You know, like, I think as a doula, because I worked in for a while as a doula, just as a backup doula, because I was always really a midwife, not a doula. Um, but I just got to the point where I like, just had gloves in my pocket. You know, if a baby's going to, like, roll right out, there's nothing you can do to stop it, right? That's just really it. And if there's shenanigans, then you just start laying on the button. Hey, we got a baby halfway out. Not sure what I'm supposed to be doing now since I'm not an employee. I'm not the hospital, not the doctor. But most of the times, babies just, like, whoop, come on out by themselves. No big deal. 
So did you ever have a posterior baby or any malpositioning on your, any of your kids? No. Okay. Well, one thing um, Sarita brought up was uh, getting a V back. Like she was concerned about having a surgical birth because then she felt like she never, um, and a V back for those who are listening is a vaginal birth after cesarean. So, um, and uh, Keisha might be interested in this information too. So Bev, I, all your babies were vaginal, right? Bev, yeah, okay. So she's nodding. So uh, Caitlin, maybe you could talk a little bit about, because um, you were um, a home birth transfer for your first baby. And then, um, but you came back and you had a successful VBAC the second time. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so my first was, um, we had to induce, um, like naturally induce at home um, at 39 weeks and some odd days, I don't remember. Um, and because my blood pressure started to skyrocket, like we started to see signs of possible preeclampsia. So we decided to um, do all sorts of hippie stuff, acupuncture, acupressure, all sorts of everything natural to get baby induced. Um, and I labored for five days at home. Um, I lab we started on Friday and I labored all through Friday night, Saturday, called my doula, everything. Um, I was in active labor and Sunday morning, like I woke up and my contractions were just gone. Everything was gone. So then we had to restart on Monday. We decided it was better to just let my body rest since obviously it just stopped doing everything. Um, and so, yeah, we restarted. And then eventually on Tuesday, we decided it was time to go to the hospital because we just, there was nothing more that we could do. I got stuck at a seven. When I got to the hospital, I was at a four. So I re reverted, it all super sucked. Um, but, and eventually like it, it was a whole process, right? We did Pitocin, we did everything uh, in induction and tried to do everything at the hospital as well. Um, that baby was just not coming out, but any other way, but a C-section. Um, Took a lot of healing from that, but I think the biggest thing was I had a doula and my midwife who supported me through all of it. And even like when we decided to do a C-section, they were like, yeah, Caitlin, this is probably where we're at. And my midwife said, this changes nothing for any of your future pregnancies, like out of the gate. So I was like, oh, okay, like I'm gonna be okay. Like everything's gonna be fine. Um, hired the same midwife and then Rowan was on that team as well for the second. And um, I hired a different doula just because I needed someone different based on life experiences. Um, hired two doulas actually. So I had Rowan, I had Shannon. Um, I think it ended up being Amy as the assistant and then Blythe and Aaron. Anyway, um, and it took, it, like for me, it wasn't a process of deciding where I was going to birth but it was a process of like going, okay, things might not go my way. I might not get my home birth. And so I prepared in all directions so that I knew what my plans were in all sorts of different scenarios, just so that I, because I'm a, I'm a preparer, I need to know what's going to happen. I'm very type A like that. Um, it was really helpful to just walk through each of those scenarios in my head and just be prepared for each of those. And then my second baby was a really healing birth for me and everything was fine. I don't know if any of that information is helpful, but I guess my, my biggest thing was being prepared. Like I did scar therapy for my, um, from Rowan, we did scar therapy. We did the, I did the, her online course and then I saw her once or twice um, for deeper work as well. So there were, there were different things that I did just to help prepare my body so that I felt like I had done everything. So if I, I ended up in another C-section, I know that even then my scar would have been a, a, a better point as well. So there was just a lot of prep work um, that I found really helpful for whatever outcome I got. Was that helpful, Keisha? Yes, it was a little helpful. I mean, obviously, like, I'm still a little, 
I guess I'm just a little salty, but I, it, it is really helpful. Girl, be salty. Like, just be salty. It, I was salty for years. Um, hashtag saw Dr. Blythe for two years because I was salty about that and other stuff going on. And it's okay. It's a part of the processing. Um, and whatever you decide, if, if you decide to have more kids, um, you get to make those choices again. And you don't have to make the same choices. You're allowed to make completely different choices or whatever is right for you and that pregnancy. So there's just don't ever put pressure on yourself that you have to do something one way. It's, it's all, once again, a personal decision and different decisions based on that pregnancy. I will say for those who are listening later that my number one recommendation for VBACs in Houston is uh, Frances Coleman. She is uh, a midwife that I love and adore, and she's funny, and she's confident, and she's great. And I'm a birth center midwife, so, and birth centers right now aren't allowed to do VBACs, but if you want to have uh, a home birth, uh, an HVAC with someone, Frances Coleman is hands down, she's the best. She's, uh, she's a newer midwife, so she brings in extra people with her and a second license and stuff. And sometimes I'm there as her backup or, you know, like her second license with her. And, um, but she's just fantastic. So I love me some Francis. So I want to throw that out there. Okay. Well, we got a few minutes left um, to talk about hair. If nobody else wants to talk about VBACs or the man or I don't know. Oh, and I'm going to put the link to my scar class in the show notes for anybody who's listening. Okay, so I have pink hair. Tiffany has purple hair. Bev has, uh, what are those highlights or lowlights or what is that right in the front? And then your hair looks darker in the back. Catch us up. What's going on with that hair, Bev? It's the 90s bangs. <laughs> I don't know. I, I promised myself like a year ago that I was not going to bleach my hair again for like a while because it was like not not doing well and then I got that bleach bug again and I was like I have to do something I have to bleach my hair and I've been dying I've been dying all of my hair like pretty dark pretty dark so it's hard to lift and I had a bunch of red in there and black and I was like fuck it and I bleached my bangs and now they're super fragile and um split ends and all that and it didn't get nearly as blonde as I wanted but whatever I I bleached my hair so I was just I was bored I'm I just I miss doing hair and um you know I have three kids whose hair I can do but besides that this is my this is my only canvas are any of you guys on TikTok there's this um Okay, well, in TikTok, you can take an audio clip and then act out to it or do a dance move or whatever. <clears throat> and some of them are like just stuff that people's done. And there's one that says, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Yeah, okay, Keisha knows it. Okay, so there's this one where this lady's dying her hair, like doing vivids. And she goes, don't get depression. Don't get depression. And she goes, this is me doing it 1 a.m. dying my hair. Don't get depression. Don't get depression. So I sent it to my daughter and she thought it was hilarious because she does her hair. And then one of my partners is named Nicole. And um, Nicole has she's um biracial and so she i think lifts some of her hair and then does it and she's like oh i didn't know there was a song for me doing my hair in the middle of the night you know so don't get depression don't get depression and i totally was working on my hair yesterday i wasn't like upset about anything i was just like okay this is what i gotta do but i definitely have had times where like i'm gonna cut it i'm gonna shave it i'm gonna something is happening to this hair to reflect how i feel on the inside or the outside about what's going on in the inside one time I shaved my head, which was not a good look, by the way, because um, I'm like 6'2", I'm a very large person. And so people were like, what the hell happened there? And then one person was like, it's not that you shaved your head. This happened 20 years ago. Not that you shaved your head. It's that you dyed it that color when it's that. And I was like, this is what color my hair is because I'm a strawberry blonde. So it looked like orange fuzz, like a troll doll. Very unattractive. I'm like, fuck you. This is what I look like. Okay. So doing something to our hair as a way to mark our other and I was trying to talk Keisha into lightening some of her hair and then using overtone like in an orange or blue or something to be amazing but she didn't go for it. Sarita what do you normally I think both time I've seen you with your head wrapped is that true when you came in I don't remember. 
Yeah, because right now I'm in that, that phase of my pregnancy where I'm super lazy. I don't want to do anything to my hair. But um, for a very long time, I think like three or four years, I was bald and blonde. And I dyed my hair like different colors for duration. But right now, baby, mommy's on the phone. Okay, I see. Okay. Um, right now, I'm letting it go out naturally because I guess I'm over that phase of dying and all of that. Um, it's too hot out here. <laughs> uh, I don't want to wear any weeds, so I just keep it braided down and keep it, me from messing with it because when I start messing with it, it starts falling out. So, as of right now, it's just wrapped up and probably going to get some box braids probably today. Because right now I'm too lazy to do anything with it. And I got to say, too, when it's labor time, I don't know if I brought this up. And for everybody else, this is the FYI, that um, if you um, don't have the straight thin hair, like I'm currently rocking right here, um, get your hair done up in a protective style, but up. Because a lot of times, especially during a water birth, like hair goes everywhere. White people, like you got to put your hair up in a bun or a ponytail or something high and tight because I can't tell you how many people who have Caucasian hair take their hair down to fix it, you know, like put it up tighter again, like from a ponytail and it gets in the pool and it's a mess and it's gross. So, um, and then my um, black patients and friends, like get your hair braided up and like where it's up, you know, going north. Don't get braids that go, that trail down behind your back. Get it up, 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 up. And that's the best way to like, that's the best laboring hairdo. I promise you it's going to look great in the pictures if we take some. And also it's a way to keep it out of the birth pool. I had somebody who had, um, her hair was locked up. It was in dreads and it got in the birth pool and she tried to wash them. And then like, it was so fatiguing at the birth center. I was like, don't wash your hair. And she goes, they're full of blood and gooch. And I was like, Ugh. because then when you wash them and then it's, you know, it's just very fatiguing. Having a baby is a big project. So then washing your hair afterwards, too much is too much and then uh hair falling out does anybody want to speak about that in our last couple of minutes um yeah i actually just remembered i was going to say something about that earlier um i have only dealt with hair falling out postpartum like one time it was th this past time that i had a baby and it was like shocking to me because the other three times i didn't deal with it and then all of a sudden my hair was like coming out in clumps like every time I brushed my hair it was just like so much and I have a lot of hair but I really don't want to sacrifice any of it I want my hair and so I started like freaking out and um I immediately started taking biotin and um collagen peptides I have a collagen peptide protein powder that I think that has been helping immensely um, I do a scoop a day in like a smoothie or something and it actually tastes pretty good and um, I really think that it's helped my hair so I just wanted to throw that out there. You can put those collagen peptides in your coffee too. Yeah I've done that before and that was really good. Um, I'm, I think it was it's like a vanilla coconut flavor it's from Primal Kitchen and it is, it's good. Like I've never had a protein powder that was good before, but this is, yeah, it's a tasty one. I just feel like, does, is that work with like everybody? Like, do I have to have your kind of hair like that to work or like? So no. collagen pep, yeah, like, no, col collagen okay. peptides, they're good for anyone. I mean, any hair type, it's good for your skin, it's good for your hair. Like, it's really something that everyone should have included in their diet. Just like, what the heck, bro? Like, my hairline, I never wear my hair straight. Just know that. I am like a full advocate for like, happily nappy. So serious. And like, my hairline is running from me like what in the world like it's so like you guys see it like it's mm -hmm. like a 
I, I also might be over dramatic because I have a lot of hair. I have a ton of hair. I actually just cut it because like pregnancy really did me dirty. But like, I just, I'm so scared of everything, vitamins and everything. I'm just like, is there like a, a vegetable I can eat more of kind of person? Like what, well, like what, like, is there food, like a better diet option I can have? Like, no sé. Collagen <laughs> comes from bone marrow. So if you want to go the food route, you could make bone broths and get bone marrow at a restaurant. I don't know. But um, it's like gelatin also, like if you like jello, but that's, you get so much more if you're eating something like uh, Bev was talking about. I was kind of looking into this also for the same reasons, like forehead turned into a five head after baby number two, same kind of thing. Like I could see just the reseeding, like my sides or whatever, just thinning and thinning and thinning. So I was looking into that and I have a friend who is vegetarian, vegan or something. And she was telling me that her, that she started eating it for like six months. She was eating collagen and biotin and her hair looked gorgeous. Like it was full and thick and all this. And I never really got into the powders just because I wasn't in a place to spend a bunch of money on like vitamins and stuff. But um, if you want to go, the whole food route is um, bone marrow. And there's lots of like 411 about bone broth. And uh, I wanted to say also, like bone broth is the best way to do it. Like just do it, but it smells gross. So get a crock pot dedicated to bone broth and just do it outside because it will make your whole house smell the nastiest. Cochino to the max, okay? So, uh, but bone broth, and you can just pick up a used crock pot from like, um, you know, I guess next door Mercari or something because you don't want to go to a thrift store. But anyway, so that's how to do it. And you can buy bones from like almost any place. And, you know, like even oxtails are good because you can um, get oxtails. Like when we think about like accessible food, get yourself some oxtails and then uh, boil them down. And then there you go. That's the best way. And, you know, you can research this. The other thing for my vegetarian and vegans, because I'm kind of a um, plant-based person, like that's just what my body wants to eat. And there's a sea kelp or sea vegetable collagen option that you can buy from like um maybe it's primal peptides or something like that but then my concern about that is that the ocean is so full of plastic and it's a microparticle. will you be getting plastics as opposed to sea vegetables so there's no like everything right you got to weigh the pros and the cons but that's a way to get it but i feel you on the receding the five head or whatever um one thing you can also do is get castor oil like a little dab and like do a massage right here and that will invigorate the little hair follicles. I mean, you'll have a greasy ass forehead, but this is what, you know, just a little dab, like a little dime size and like this. And then this is your hot massage tip of the day. But yeah, cause my hairline's totally receding, but mine like started to jump back during menopause. I paused early. I'm 49, by the way, I had a birthday last week, but, um, and, but I'm, I paused early, which you only really notice when you're, um, sorry, Sarita, if you have to find this out about me, but you only really notice that when you're having sex with somebody who also has a period and you like laugh them. I'm like, oh, you've had a period twice since I've had one. Oh shit. And then I noticed that I paused early. Like, so I was like 40 or something, 42, maybe I'm 49 now. So um, anyway, and that's when all this went like, you know, cause I used to have a regular forehead. Well, not like, you know, like not Cesar Chavez or whatever, but like it was like here and that was like whoop way back in the back. So the five head, it's like a six head right here. I don't know what's happening, but, um, but a little bit of castor oil. And I met someone actually at a birth conference and she was black and she had had the same thing where her hairline was receding. And we were talking about it and she said, yeah, she just did the castor oil and she would always massage. So she didn't know if it was the massage or the castor oil, but just doing that, like nourishing where the hairline was receding. And that's what she did every night. And it grew back and her hairline was like nice and, you know, full and you know looked good. So anyway, that's my hot tip of the day. Okay. Well, we're right at time. 
thanks everybody for showing up today. I'll post this in our group. Um, Sarita, we have a Facebook group. I'm thinking about switching us over to a different platform called Community. Um, I just got to see what we're going to do there so that we can still interact with each other. But Facebook is kind of like the North Korea of um, social media platforms. So I didn't come up with that, but whoever said it was like on point. So we might be uh, leaving Facebook, but we, we do have a group there where we talk about stuff and we keep the conversation going and I'll post this uh, podcast when we get it up and I'll put next week's too up there. So, okay. All right. We lost Bev. So now what we do is we unmute ourselves and we tell each other that we love each other and we'll see us in uh, next week. So you don't have to say you love us, Sarita, if you don't, you, you can just. Friendly like is okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Love y'all. Bye, guys. Bye, y'all. See you next week. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks, y'all. Oh, thank you.